Good morning, church. My name is Drew. If you haven't met me yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we are continuing our series called We Are the Church Through Ephesians. And we're looking at the church through the lens of the Bible. And one of the things that I think about often when we're in worship in the morning is specifically that we are not just worshiping with this church family, but we are worshiping with the worldwide body of Christ. And so it might not be at the exact same time and the exact same hour or singing the exact same songs, but there's this, this amazing reality that there are people in South America and in Africa and Europe and Asia and all throughout the world who are worshiping the same Jesus that we're worshiping. And the Bible says that that reality of a multi-ethnic church that stretches from one end of the globe to the other is a deep mystery. Now, the way that the dictionary defines mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. And I think what God wants to do for us in this service is through his word to blow our minds with God's design in the church and that we would stand in awe and wonder that we get to be a part of God's church. And so the simple big idea this morning is that the church is God's beautiful mystery. And we're looking at what the mystery is, how the mystery is revealed, and why it matters. So let's start off with what the mystery is. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to be starting with verses 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there you see it. Apostle Paul is writing, and he's saying there's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And then he makes this statement that the mystery has not been revealed to previous generations in the way that it has been revealed to this generation. Notice that he doesn't say that the mystery was not revealed at all to previous generations. He says in verse 5 that the mystery was made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it, but not in the way that it's been revealed to us. What's he saying there? I, I think what he's alluding to is verses in the Old Testament like Genesis 12 verse 3. This is when God is having a conversation with the first Jew, a guy named Abraham, and he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that summarizes God's covenant with his people in the Old Testament, and what he's saying is, I'm going to bless you and choose you and make you my people 
so that you can be a blessing. In other words, the blessing was to come to them so that it would go through them. The promise was to come to them so that it would go through them. And so what we see, even back in the Old Testament, is that God's goal and desire, even in choosing the people of Israel, was to include the whole world in his community. But what the Israelites thought throughout the Old Testament is that they were chosen because they were unique, because they were special. And so what we actually see is instead of becoming like a river of God's grace, they became a cul-de-sac of God's grace. The grace just stopped with them. They didn't allow the grace to go through them to the Gentiles. And so we see throughout the Old Testament that Gentiles or non-Jews are included within the covenant community. They join Israel, but they kind of stand on the outside looking in. They're not fully included in that community. But we see in the Old Testament that God's design was their inclusion. So here's Paul, and what he's saying is that the mystery that's been revealed to him that's been made clear is that Gentiles can be all in in God's family. And so he mentions three things in this passage. He says the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, so throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites were described as God's chosen son. And we know in ancient cultures that when a father died, the son got the inheritance. It was the firstborn son who was the heir of whatever the father had. And this is what Paul is saying. Gentiles aren't just in on God's covenant community. They are fully in. They are firstborn sons. They're as in the family as you can possibly B. And the reason that they got into the family is not because they were good. It's the same way that the Israelites got into the family. It's through Christ. It's through Jesus. It's because Jesus came through where Israel failed. He was the true son who obeyed God perfectly and deserves the blessing. And so by our faith in him, we are heirs with him. It also says that we are members of his body, So the image here is that Jesus is the head and the worldwide church is his body. He could not care for you more. Think about how naturally your head cares for your body. Your head sends messages to your body, your body sends messages to your head and tells you that if your hand hurts, that you should bandage it or that you should put a cast on it. And in the similar way, God treats people from every tongue, tribe, and nation as if they were his own body. That's how intimately he cares for us. And the third thing he says is that we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. So the promise is, is that God wants relationship with us. The promise is that 
He sent his son so that we could have eternal life in him. And this is eternal life, that you may know God and his son whom he has sent. And so all of God's promises in the Old Testament, now in Christ, apply to you and to me. All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And so you are not outside looking in. You are totally included in the people of God. Now, this is called a mystery by Paul, this baffling thing that is so hard for us to understand because he deeply understood how naturally prejudiced we are as people. So Paul was a Jew. Paul grew up his entire life thinking that only the Jews are God's chosen people. And because he's been religiously a certain way and culturally certain way and because he looked a certain way and acted a certain way he thought that he was earning God's blessing and so this is a deep mystery because he gets how easily prejudiced he is but I wonder if we get that as naturally I wonder if we kind of stand outside this text and we look at it and say well of course everybody's in I'm not racist I don't I don't have cultural biases. I want everybody to be a part of the church. But I think if we start to dig a little bit deeper, we'll find that all of us do have some prejudice in us. Have you ever been to a foreign country before? So I've spent two longer stints in foreign countries. Um, When I went to pick up my two oldest kids from the Democratic Republic of Congo, I spent 40 days there. And then I also uh, spent an entire summer in China. So I was there for about three months. And and I remember having this experience when I was in those places. For the first couple weeks, I thought everything was amazing. Like, this culture is amazing, and the food's amazing, and the people are amazing. Everything is incredible, and the sights, and the sounds, and the smells, everything is awesome. I could live here, sort of, where I go. And then, you sort of stay beyond that a little ways, and then this is just me, maybe this wouldn't be you, but this is just me, I go all bad. This place is terrible. The food's not good anymore. The, the people aren't that nice anymore. And you start to see the differences. And at least what I do is I start to kind of hate the differences. And I miss the Cubs and uh, burgers and fries, and I want to get back to good old America, you know? And, and here's the thing. What, what I'm seeing when I'm over there is I'm seeing myself in a mirror. In other words, I'm seeing the way that I appear to people from other countries who come here. Here's what we see when we go overseas. We see the beauty of different cultures but we also see the brokenness of other cultures. And I think what each of us would have to say is we tend to be proud and to think, wait, could God really let those people into his church? Are the church doors really wide enough that we could let people from different political perspectives and from different cultures and different races and even slightly different theological beliefs than us in to the church. And Paul is saying, this is the deep mystery. God's plan 
from the beginning of time has been a worldwide, multi-ethnic movement of God. So much so that he wants to bring us all into one family. So it's not just that we like each other. We're brothers and sisters forever. That's what he's wanting to do. Which is why he reveals the mystery in a certain way. So look with me at how the mystery is revealed. Verses 7 through 9. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Okay, so think about this from God's perspective. He wants to tell the whole world that he wants his family to go multi-ethnic. This is a big change because it seemed in the Old Testament like his plan was just to pick one ethnic group. And so he wants to pick his spokesman. And the spokesman he picks is a terrorist. He picks a guy that is so proud and so prejudiced that before he became a church planter, he went house to house, would have Christians a multi-ethnic community of Christ followers, dragged out of their homes, beaten, stoned, and killed. He took prejudice to the extreme. He is on a trip to a place called Damascus where his only intention is to persecute the church of God. On the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up to Paul and he says, why are you persecuting me? Do you see what Jesus is saying? That's my body. That's my church. You hurt my church, you hurt me. And from that moment on, Paul is not only saved, But the entire mission of his life is to bring Gentiles into the community of faith. Then you would have thought, okay, so he's saved, he's a missionary, he's doing really good things for God. So then you would think he would say, now, be like me, I'm awesome, I'm amazing. Let God use your life the way that he's used my life. But instead, this is Paul's perspective on himself. To me, though I am, notice present tense, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. Not I was when I used to persecute the church, but I am the least. I'm the worst. I'm the biggest sinner. Somebody came to church this morning feeling like you are the biggest sinner. I've got good news for you. Paul was. 
you can only be second worse. All right, but here's what Paul's saying. God doesn't use people because they're perfect. God uses people because they're broken. The reason that God handpicked Paul is because it's kind of like a good joke. I'll use the most racist person that I possibly can to bring the message of reconciliation through the gospel to the world. Why? Because it makes it super obvious that it was God's idea, not Paul's. That it's God using him, not Paul using his own strengths to do something amazing. A few of us pastors in our church went to a conference this week, and we listened to a speaker by the name of David Loveless. It was very compelling. And David had led, formerly, a large church in Orlando, Florida called Discovery Church, a church of over 4,000 people. And he was doing really well, very successful in ministry, and was in his mid-50s and committed adultery. So he was sharing with us the story of how the church rejected him, pushed him to the side, and how he just went into this uh, place where, frankly, he almost killed himself and was just uh, so low, but continued to cling to his faith in God. And he was reflecting back on that time, and he said there were four primary lies that he was believing that led him into adultery. The four lies were, I deserve better. I am strong enough. My being, or sorry, my doing defines my being. And fourthly, I must distance myself from any failure in me. See, what he's saying is, what he started to believe because he was a successful pastor, is that he couldn't be broken anymore. He wasn't allowed to be a sinner anymore. He had to be the best. He couldn't be the least. And as I've reflected on that, I thought, I can't handle trying to be the best. I've got to be the least. You know, I want... Salt City Church to be the type of church that if I committed adultery, which I haven't done, if I did, that you would still want me here. I I want this church to be a place that is so filled with grace that we have each looked ourselves in the mirror and we understand, like people in the Old Testament, that they call themselves worms, they called themselves beasts, they called themselves sheep. In the New Testament, a woman called herself a dog. None of those have ever been compliments. I want us to be people who look at ourselves, not that church down the road, not that leader over there, not that person over there, not that political figure over there, but me, I'm the worst. Why would we do that? 
Because here's where your identity comes from as a Christian. Jesus loves the worst. He loves the real me, not the me that I'm pretending to be. He loves sinners. That is the audacious message that we preach here every week. It is the mystery hidden in some ways from previous generations that has now been revealed. Okay, so why does this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus loves sinners so he revealed this mystery through a sinner? Let's look at verses 10 through 13. He says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul tells us why by starting this paragraph with the words, so that. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So that word manifold, it means marked by diversity or variety. It literally means multicolored. Wisdom means supreme intelligence. So God has chosen people to be part of his family from every tongue, tribe, and nation on earth because he wants to show off his multicolored wisdom, his supreme intelligence. Why does he want to do that? He wants to make it known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, so I think he's talking about the angels here. And I think this is what he's saying. Angels can see the majesty of God. They can experience the holiness of God. They can be stunned and in awe of the power of God, but an angel will never experience the grace of God. Because angels who are in heaven have never sinned. And so the angels are looking down at the earth and they're like, what? Okay, he can't just save Jewish sinners. He can save American sinners and European sinners and Asian sinners and African sinners and South American sinners. If there's any sinners in Antarctica, he could save them too. He can save anybody. And so the multicolored wisdom of God says, I can save people who cuss in any language or who commit adultery in any place or do anything stupid that is specific to that culture. So some cultures are more into like witch doctors and that sort of thing. And some cultures are more into materialism and obesity, not to mention any cultures in particular. And there's... We all have our choice sins, and what God is saying is, I have my choice grace for you too. Anybody can get in on this. That's the gospel. 
And so we have a tendency to look over at other people and say, could God really save a Democrat? Could God really save a Republican? Could God really save somebody from that place? Could God really save somebody who's like that? And somebody else is looking at you and saying the exact same thing, and the resounding answer from heaven is yes. That's the whole point, is to bring us all together in this multi-ethnic community where nobody deserves anything. When I was growing up, my mom always loved Monet paintings, and she would point them out whenever they were on TV. We never had an original hanging in our house or anything like that, or when we saw a poster. And what she loved about Monet paintings was that the closer you get to a Monet painting, you see that it's just made up of little blotches, just little dots. But if you back up, the further back you get, you see that the designer of the painting, the genius behind the painting, had a beautiful picture in mind. So it's not that the dots are significant in and of themselves. It's just a blotch of paint. It's the genius of the artist. As the genius of God is that you can be saved. And the angels are stunned by it. We love to quote this verse at Salt City Church. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. And it doesn't matter what your background or ethnicity, where you're from, what you've done, where you've been, God's grace is for you. And because God's grace is for you, this church is for you. Because sinners of all kinds and all types from all places are welcome here in this place. And so what the world has been trying to achieve apart from grace, God will achieve through Christ. So Paul gives us the final application. He says, I ask you not to lose heart. So where we're standing right now, here's our temptation. We look out and we've got a particular angle on the American church. And so we know all the dirty secrets and all the garbage of the American church. And so we look, we look out and we can lose heart because we're just like, really? This is God's plan? This is it? Like this community, these people, this organization, these people falling, these people messing up, and, and we can have a tendency to lose heart, and that can cause us to not want to be part of failure, right? And so we distance ourselves. We're like, I don't want to be a part of a screwed up group of people. And here's what Paul is saying. Just wait. Hold on. Why did he give his life to suffer for people like us to come to know Jesus? Because God is going to take this mess and he is going to make it the most beautiful piece of artwork you've ever seen. And so one day, we will all stand around the throne. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And sin will be no more. It'll be in the rearview mirror. And all that will be left is the beauty of every culture. 
the way that each culture was uniquely designed to display the image of God. But we won't be prejudiced against the differences. We will fully embrace the differences. We will love being a part of that type of family. And we will link our arms together. And the vision that everybody wants to happen in like a utopian world on earth will happen in heaven. That is our destiny. And because that's our destiny, we agitate and we fight for that now. But we don't use the weapons of this world. We use the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And it will look like we're losing, like it looked like Paul was losing. But let's hold on. Let's not lose heart because that is our destiny. Let's pray, church. Jesus, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are at work. Thank you that sinful pastors like me can come into your presence, have boldness and access through faith in you, Jesus. Um, I feel like Paul, the least undeserving, um, not even worthy to be included in your family. But thank you that In your family, there are reverse qualifications that we can come as we are, that it's okay not to be okay, that um, sinners are welcome. And thank you, God, that you have displayed that over and over again in your worldwide church and that the existence of the church today is evidence that your plan is working. And so we rejoice that our destiny is not to be broken and hurting and left out, but our destiny is to be rejoicing around your throne with this family of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.